0: guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter three, we saw the call of Moses when God got his attention by using a burning bush and he gave Moses his new assignment, or should we even say his very first assignment, which was to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And so in the call of Moses, we saw the beginning of five objections of Moses, basically the first two. And that simply was, who am I? And that is Moses had a reassessment of himself from, and I don't want to be too harsh on Moses, but allow me simply to say in a a prideful, arrogant beginning of seeing himself being able to deliver. And that's the point you have to get, of seeing himself basically at the age of 40. That was the first part of his life himself able to deliver, he now as an humble shepherd does not see himself being capable of delivering the children of Israel. Therefore, God had to not simply to assure him, but to make him know that it is God himself who is the power to deliver him. And then Moses's second objection dealt with no doubt certain aspects of thinking in the children of Israel that they had adopted from the Egyptians because of the Egyptian polytheism, that is there are many gods. He said they will ask, what is his name? What is God's name? And so therefore God revealed himself to Moses as I am. And then in that revelation of his name, which is a revelation of his power, which is an indication speaking to the children of Israel, the God who is able to do All things, which in this context is to deliver them out of Egypt from the bondage of the Pharaoh, I am. And so with this of God overcoming this second objection of Moses, he simply tells him, he gives him further direction to gather the elders of Israel together and go and tell them that God has now determined to bring them out of Egypt. Okay. So without getting into chapter three all over again, I think that's enough. Let's continue on with the third, fourth, and fifth. Fifth will be our final objection of Moses in chapter four. And in chapter four, we will complete that commission or call of Moses. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again. And when he took it out, of his (laughs) book. And when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then. okay, let's stop there. All right. So now we are dealing with Moses's third objection. And the third objection, to be honest, is quite reasonable, because here's when Moses simply says, what if they will not believe that the Lord appeared to me now? And here's what you have to understand. Here he is using the personal covenantal name of God to simply to indicate to stretch that it was God himself who literally appeared to Moses to give him this great assignment. Now, what is re- what is reasonable to understand in Moses objection here it is it is reasonable because. For 400 years, there has been no appearance to God. And the last time we hear of any appearances, it was always with the patriarch. When God appeared to Abraham or he appeared to Isaac or Jacob, God's appearance was not a common thing. Plus, in addition to, as I've already said, God hadn't spoken in over 400 years. So for Moses simply to come, if you'll let me say it this way. Out of the blue to the sons of Israel and say, The Lord appeared to me, you can understand that they would be extremely doubtful. So, what does God do to overcome Moses' objection? He gives him signs to perform. Now, right here, let me stop and let me digress. And I want to do it because it's fresh in my mind. Because what you have to understand is this this is a principle to understand. If a person, if a prophet is going to speak of a word of the Lord, the Lord oftentimes gives him a sign to perform. That is the sign is done to validate, to to validate the fact that indeed God has spoken to me. So therefore, if you see this particular sign, it is the proof and the evidence that what I am saying to you, that I'm saying that it is from the Lord, it is indeed from the Lord, you got it? So with that in mind, it, this becomes the principle, this becomes the basis and the foundation for understanding the purposes of signs or sometimes called miracles, which is the, one of the reasons why I don't like and I think it is biblically incorrect for the most part, it's biblically incorrect for the most part, to simply to understand the things that God has done through his chosen men as miracles. The idea of a miracle simply is something that is supernatural. So therefore God is doing something that is naturally not able to, is naturally a phenomenon that is not usually done. It's not done in nature. So God is using this. This grabs the attention But the overall idea is there is a message or a statement behind it. So therefore, the miracle is done with a purpose. And this is what makes it a sign. So therefore, the idea is a sign is a miraculous event done through the power of God with a purpose or message in mind. Bringing us all the way to and I said all of that and and, and bear with me, guys so that we can move now to the new Testament. Okay. When we get into the new Testament, most notably who I'm talking about, predominantly first case in all is Jesus. The Messiah is Jesus. And in the second case, we can see it with the apostles of Christ. Okay. But let's focus on Jesus to understand what people normally call the miracles of Jesus. And, 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 It it must be understood in the principle of what is being stated here. That's why I took you guys from this point in the book of Exodus to Jesus concerning sign miracle. When Jesus did the miracles that he did, they were not simply miracles. Jesus performed signs. His miracles were signs because the miracles that he did were were attesting to the message that he spoke. And what was the prevailing message of Jesus? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that just simply is is a Hebraic way of saying that the Messiah is here. So Jesus performed all of the miracles that he did as signs. And what was the purpose of the signs to validate his message? And what was the overarching message of Jesus? He came unto the Jewish people declaring that he was their long awaited Messiah. And so therefore, if you simply did not believe Jesus's declaration, believe him simply saying he was the Messiah. Look at all of the wonderful things that he did, all of the miraculous things that he did. So in a sense, let me just give you two examples. Remember when Jesus said unto the Pharisees, if you do not believe me for my words, then believe me for the works that I do for the works that I do declare what I say. That's one thing. And then again, remember when they came unto Jesus and the man was uh, uh, on a, on a pallet and they brought him before Jesus and Jesus told them, told the man, your sins are forgiven. And they looked at him and said, who can forgive sins except God? And then Jesus said, I tell you what, let me prove to you what I just said is true that I have the ability to forgive sins. Watch this. Take up your bed and walk. So therefore, when the man was healed, the sign, it proved that what Jesus said was true. A sign authenticates the message and the messenger. That's it. Or a miracle. A miracle authenticates the message and the messenger. And that's what makes it a sign. All right. And so that's why we see Jesus doing what he did because it authenticated his message, claiming to be the Messiah and the apostles following him who were claiming Jesus to be the Messiah. And therefore he enabled them to do all types of signs in his name. All right. Now, with that all taken care of, now let's go back to what's going on with Moses. Okay, so Moses here says, they may not believe that God himself has personally appeared. Reasonable. That's reasonable. And so what does God do? He gives Moses three sign miracles to perform before the people. And so the first sign he tells, he, he asks Moses, what's in your hand? It was a shepherd's staff. And so he tells him, take the staff, throw it on the ground and miraculously it became a serpent. And then he tells him now and when it when it happened, of course, Moses jumped and he ran and then he tells Moses, grab it by the tail. So now let me make a few comments on all three signs and I'm trying not to make this too long, but it's wonderful to see what God is actually saying and doing in the giving of these signs. All right. So the first sign concerning the serpent, what 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 we have to understand about these signs is they all relate to a belief or, a, or one, of the, one of the gods of the Egyptians in some way or another. So to the uh, belief of the Egyptians and the gods of the Egyptians. One of the gods of the Egyptians. Remember the Egyptians had many gods, okay? And in the performing of these signs, what God is also indicating both here And we will find out in the 10 plagues of Egypt, God's power over the so-called gods of Egypt. Why? Because there are no other gods but Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. And you have to catch all of those nuances as we deal with the text, all right? And so let's deal with the serpent, the snake here. It was a sign of life. It was a sign of, of, of life and some symbol of fertility amongst the Egyptians. And so therefore by, uh, turning the staff into a serpent, it related to one of the gods of Egypt and how that God himself has the power over the Egyptian, uh, uh gods of life. God's of life. okay. And anyway, concerning Moses, because remember, he was a little scared when that thing turned to a snake and God told him to grab it by the tail. Now, that is interesting, too, because God is asking Moses to act on faith as well. Why? The most dangerous place to grab a snake is its tail because the head can very quickly turn around and bite you. So, God asks Moses to grab the serpent at his most dangerous place. And Moses, in an act of faith, what does he do? He grabs the serpent's tail, and of course, it turns back to his staff. So, we see the first indication here of overcoming one of the gods of Egypt with the, uh, the sign of the staff turning into the serpent. And we also see, too, what is necessary with Moses as he go, as God is commissioning him to do all of these things, to go out unto Pharaoh, what do we see necessary with Moses? Faith in everything that he does, it begins with faith, okay? All right, so now let's go to the second sign. So then he gives them a second sign and that was the sign of leprosy. Now, again, this also relates to the Egyptians because they saw the Egyptians saw the leprosy as being a detestable and incurable disease. It was detestable and incurable. And so what is the, what is the thing? God tells Moses, put his hand in his breast, take it out. And all of a sudden it's white lepers, It's very leopards. And then he tells, and no doubt this probably scared and unnerved Moses as well. And then he tells him to, put it in again, bring it out, and it's restored like your skin again, instantaneously, okay? So again, as relating to, relating to the Egyptians, something detestable, incurable. Now, what we have to also remember too, and maybe I didn't bring this again, even though these things are, these sign miracles, are related to the Egyptians in some other way, they are given as signs to Moses' own people, okay? And this is why, remember now, Moses' people are in Egypt and they are aware of the beliefs and the belief systems of the Egyptians, okay? So in the mind of Moses' people, they are in bondage to the Egyptians. The Egyptians are powerful and all of that. How will our God break the power of the most powerful people on the planet. And how will he break the power of their gods? He gives them signs, and these signs say, that relates to the power of the Egyptians' gods is simply saying, I'm able to break them, so therefore, I'm able to set you free. So, the signs, although related to the Egyptians, are to Moses' own people to convince them that God truly appeared to Moses and has called Moses to do what he has said that he's, that he's telling them to deliver them. Okay. But anyway, so that's the sign of the leprosy concerning the test, the testable thing incurable in the sight of the Egyptians, but healable by our God. And then third sign. notice what the third sign is take, not just any water and pour it on the ground, waters from the Nile. You got to catch that point. Again, undeniable. See the reference again to Egypt because the Nile was the river that flowed into Egypt and it, it symbolized life and productivity, life and productivity. And so therefore notice From life and productivity, the waters of the Nile, the life-giving waters of the Nile, he turns it into blood, which is a symbol of death. That is, God, the God of the Hebrews, has the power over the God of the Nile, the God of the Nile that brings life, our God is able to destroy him. So again, it speaks to the mind of the Israelites that their God is more powerful than the gods of Egypt. And that's all that's saying. All right. And so w- once that happened, uh, Moses, even though given these particular signs, and God basically is giving him one sign after another to convince them, and even though God has given Moses these signs, we find out that Moses is still. Hesitant. And he he just really doesn't want to go. So now let's move into more Moses's uh, fourth reason for why he didn't want to go. His resistance. Verse number 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go and I, even I will be with your mouth and teach you what you ought to say. But he said, please, Lord. Now, look, I tell you what, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. Because that's the fourth one. Okay. So then Moses' fourth argument before God is the lack of eloquence. But before we even get into that, I want I want you guys to look at the language. OK, because notice now in reference to God is using the personal covenant name of God. That's that capital, all caps, L-O-R-D in all caps. But notice the address of Moses. You see that in the beginning of verse number 10. It says, please, Lord. Now, notice that capitalization is different, only with a capital L, and the rest of it is not capitalized. That's because it's using a different word, Adon, Adon. Sometimes you hear the term Adonai, but here it's using the word Adon. So what Moses is, how Moses is addressing the Lord here is as if we would say it today in our way of speaking, please, master, Please, Master. So we can see Moses' reverential address to God in fear, even though he's constantly asking. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. But the point is, the point is, he says that I have never been good at speaking, I haven't been good at talking in the past, and, and I can't speak too well now. So please send somebody else. And that this seems to somewhat contradict what Stephen said. And I'm not talking about biblical contradiction. What I mean here is Moses is downplaying himself. Okay. Because what did Stephen say? Stephen said how Moses was mighty in word and in deed. All right. So it seems that Moses is downplaying his ability to speak At this point, by simply saying to God, he can't speak that well. And so God simply responds to Moses saying, well, who in the world makes man's mouth? I can make a man blind and dumb and everything else. So therefore, go. And notice, I like that God gives him great assurance. He said, and I, even I will be with your mouth. Don't worry at all about what you will say. I myself will speak for you. And so therefore God is overcoming Moses's fourth objection. So now let's move into his fifth objection, 13. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message, send the message about whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, is that not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people and he will be as a mouth for you and you will be as God to him. All right. Now looking at his fifth objection here, Moses just simply says, again, notice that please Lord, please master here in Moses' final plea. When he says, send by whomever you will send, that is just simply an overall polite way. Cause remember Moses is talking to God. He is being extremely polite and he's simply saying, Lord, please just send somebody else. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why this is, I find it comical to me. When Moses first went out to see, to look upon his brothers, he had so much confidence. But look at him now, 40 years later. He has no confidence at all. When he first went out, you can kind of see he just knew he was going to be the one he knew he was going to be successful. He knew Moses raised in the courts of Egypt, educated in the Egypt and this and that the prince and that he knew. And now look at him now. And he's begging God, please just send somebody else. But nevertheless, in all of the assurances that God has given him, the signs, the, thou be with your mouth, the power of God and all of that, God now becomes angry and God's patience now has, it's gone. It's gone. And so he says to Moses, okay, fine. You have a brother by the name of Aaron, the Levite. And let me tell y'all something. I kind of almost want to digress into that because my, my, why did God call him Aaron? The Levite did not Moses know he was a Levite. Yeah. He was raised by his mother. Yoshabel. He knew that. And in knowing that his brother is Aaron, he knew he came from the Levite tribe. Isn't it a beautiful thing how there seems to be an intimation, how the Levites will play a particular role in the future. Remember, the Levite would become the Levitical tribe of God, the priestly tribe amongst the tribes, the priestly tribes to mediate for all of the tribes. They will mediate for all of the tribes of Israel. And notice how here we're going to see Aaron become a mediate. That is a mediate, a go between. That's what I'm trying to say. A go between between Moses and the Pharaoh. Beautiful thing how God introduces him as your brother, the Levite. But anyway, let's let's just continue with the commentary. So he says Aaron is coming to meet you. And so he is speaking uh, and probably of that which is all God is already putting into the heart of Aaron. Because in the end of this chapter, we're going to see Aaron coming out actually to meet his brother because we going to understand. I'll talk about that when I get to it. But. Um, Aaron is coming to meet him. And so he gives him the new role since Moses is having this issue about speaking. He says this will be the role. I will put my words into your mouth and I'm going to be with your mouth. And then you are going to put those words into Aaron. I'm going to be with Aaron's mouth and it will be Aaron who speaks to the Pharaoh. And in, so in a sense. So this is what God is saying to him you will be as God because you're going to be the one declaring what Aaron should do. And Aaron will be the one who is actually speaking to the Pharaoh. Since Moses, you are saying you're not eloquent. Okay, fine. Your brother's eloquent. Let him have the role. Fine. And so he tells him this will now be the role that you are playing. And with thus at the anger of God, he overcomes all Moses' objections, okay? So what have we done? We have covered five of Moses' objections, beginning with, who am I? Until finally, he simply tells him, Lord, send somebody else, which was the whole point of the deal in the first place, send somebody else. But let's move on with the text. 18, then, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 17. I forgot that, and it is so important. But anyway, let's look at it. You should take in your hand this staff which you shall perform these signs. Okay, and so therefore the staff that Moses had as a shepherd now becomes a staff to perform the signs of God. And as we move through the text, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the naming of this particular staff. Verse 19, now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God, that's why I was going prematurely, in his hand. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, See that you perform Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God, Israel is my firstborn son. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son Your firstborn son. Okay, so now let me stop there because there are a lot of things that we kind of need to touch on right here. All right, so what is now? Moses now takes his wife, Zipporah, and his sons. Notice the sons now is plural. We know we've already talked about the birth of his firstborn son, that is Gershom. But the Bible hadn't mentioned his second son, who is Eleazar, and that's who it's referring to here in the plural. So he has both Gershom. Eleazar and his wife Gifra and so he mounts them up and they are on their way uh, back to Egypt according to the command of God and then he tells them to take now and here's that thing here's that thing the staff of God so now we see here there is a name for this particular staff and the name is basically the function now the function the staff which was once Moses shepherding staff is now called the staff of God. This seems to, and let me tell y'all where this takes my mind to because of the nature of what the staff represents and notice it became Moses' staff. God asked him, what is that? He said, this is my staff, take this staff and do this with it, right? Take that staff and throw it on the ground because it is instrumental in accomplishing the work of God. The staff of Moses is instrumental in accomplishing the work of God. It is now God's staff. And therefore we see the name being given here. My Elohim, the staff of God. Okay. And because of that, the staff is, is important. Let me just simply say it that way. It has a, it is not just symbolic, but the staff is important. It takes me, it jettisons me up into the future. And the and so allow me to digress into the future, when we get into Numbers chapter 20, remember when Moses, God commands Moses, the people are complaining because the lack of lack of water. God commands Moses and Aaron to speak to the rock. But what did Moses do? Moses took his staff. He took his staff and he struck the rock. He struck the rock with the staff of God. And I'm not gonna get into all of the meanings behind that but it was an act of disobedience, faithlessness and defiance of Moses. You got it? And what did he do? He did it with the staff of God. And and that brought great judgment. How great was the judgment? The judgment was a death sentence to Moses. God told Moses, "You are not going to the promised land." But anyway, I just wanted to kind of bring out some of the significance that the shepherd's staff which is now the staff of God has become. Okay. But let's go on. So what happened? Uh, So he mounts his wife. They go on. And and later on, we're going to see something else concerning Zifra as well in this chapter too. And um, he said, he goes to Pharaoh. He gives him a message to tell to Pharaoh to let my people go. Now this is basically the foundational message. Okay. Let my people, let my son go. That he may serve me. And he, and he says, but if you refuse, I will kill your son. Now, this all seems to be anticipatory. OK. OK. It whether or not this became the very first message that Moses gave to to the Pharaoh, in other words, when he initially came to the Pharaoh, did he say unto him, Let my people, let my son go because Israel is my son or I will kill your son. It seems to be kind of unclear. It it seems that he's speaking kind of in an anticipatory fashion because we understand that in the end, this is what's going to happen. Because we understand that in the 10th plague that is placed upon Egypt, it will result in the death of the firstborn son of Pharaoh. Okay, so. He may have said it, indeed, he may have said it, but whether or not he said it at the first or whether or not it is basically in anticipation, not because God knows everything. Uh, this seems to be the idea that is pointing forward to that in the great judgments upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, because of his refusal, God is going to ultimately kill the firstborn son of Pharaoh. Okay. All right. So now let's move forward. Verse number 24. And here's where I was talking about this issue, how Ziphora. Remember, we've, the last time we saw Moses uh, took his wife and his two sons and they are all going to Egypt. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Okay, I like this passage. Now, it seems somewhat confusing, but... Let let me bring some light to it. Okay, so now what's going on? Let's keep the story going. So Moses is on his way to Egypt to deliver the people of God. All right. Now, in the process of on his way the on his way to Egypt, uh, Moses it, it takes us back. Moses, the son Gershom, the first son, Moses circumcised his firstborn son, but. The second son, because remember, it said sons, plural, Eleazar. Moses did not circumcise Eleazar. And the reasons for the circumcision is given contextually in this passage. So what does it teach us? At the time when Moses desired because, I'm sorry, because circumcision was reviled by his wife, Zipporah. Moses did not circumcise his second son, Eleazar. But according to Genesis 17, God made a covenant with Abraham. Remember the covenant of Abraham simply said on the eighth day of life, all male sons of the seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, or the seed of Abraham were to be circumcised. So all of Abraham's son on the eighth day, had to be circumcised. And this was the covenant that God made with him. And Moses was in violation of this covenant, but it was because his wife Zipporah did not like the particular act. And how do we know? Because when God, because, okay. And so Moses, let's, let, let me keep it in context. not get excited. Moses is being sent to deliver the people of God. But Moses himself is in disobedience to the covenant. So God cannot use Moses when he himself is in disobedience to the covenant. So what does he do? He strikes Moses. He strikes Moses with such an illness, it almost brought him to death. And in some way or another, this was revealed to his wife, Ziphrah. She knew the cause of her husband's near death experience that he, his son needed to be circumcised. So therefore she had to do it herself. So she took Eliezer, the, the baby boy, and she circumcised him. And when she circumcised him, she called him a husband of a bridegroom of blood. That lets you know she detested the act. I can't stand this thing being done. And then once again, she took, the, she took the foreskin, when she cut the foreskin from a baby boy, and she threw it at Moses' feet. This is an act of detesting. She lets him know how much she truly hates this. And she calls Moses again a bridegroom of your, in other words, this is the type of thing that your people do a bridegroom of blood. And so therefore she showed the act of her being detestable. So what do I want to say in this little incident? Moses had to be brought into obedience of the covenant. We see that before he himself can become a deliverer for the people, he needs to obey himself. And the second thing that we see is his wife, Zephyrus, detesting of the uh, the covenant, I just wanted to say the covenantal obligations (laughs) <laughs> of the Jewish men of this act. She hated this particular act. Now, the reason why I did take a little time to talk about Zephyr's uh, act, uh, uh, the way she detested the act is because notice we see here that Moses is bringing them along with himself to Egypt. And what's going to happen in Egypt? We will see the power of God Strike a nation like never before, like never before. We will not see a demonstration of such power again until Jesus. But, it, but then the power, when even what Jesus did, was not so much on a nation. Moses is going to strike an entire nation a nation and we won't see that type of activity until we move into the great tribulation time. But anyway, and I don't want to do that right now, but great power. What is my point that I'm trying to make? That was a marvelous thing to behold. But later on, guess what you're going to find out? Moses is going to send Ziphra and, and his sons, Ziphra and his sons back home to Jethro And she will never see all the wonderful things that God has done. And you know what? All of this, no doubt, is related to how she felt about this incident. She missed seeing a marvelous and glorious thing that God was going to do because she abhorred something about God. And so let me do a little preaching. Fine, let me do a little preaching. Let us be careful. You know, sometimes we look at we look at God's word. We look at certain things about God, the principle about God. And I don't want to get into the many facets of things because there are many things that you can like people say, whether you say it out loud or not. I like this about what God has said or I don't like this about what God has said. You need to have the feeling whatever God says, however God wants to do things, that is fine with me. Why? You never know the blessings you might miss. God has many things. You don't know the future and you don't know the things that God may have planned for you or things that God may have for you simply to be involved in. But some things you can miss because of your attitude and some things you can miss because of your hatred and dislike of certain things about God and certain things about his word. Don't be a Zephyr. Don't, don't dislike anything. Whatever God has to say, say that's fine with me. That's fine with me. And I'm with it. I'm with the whole thing. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. So I'll stop right there. So let us learn from Zephyr because I know no doubt some of you have certain things about certain parts of God's word and you don't like that. That turns you off, but don't get turned off from a blessing. All right. Enough of that. Nevertheless Moses survived the incident. God healed him supernaturally and he was able to continue. So let's uh, so with that let us continue. Verse 27. Now the Lord said to Aaron, "Go to meet Moses in the wilderness." So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshiped. All right. So now. Remember, God had already told Moses in his objection of eloquence that his brother Aaron was coming out to meet him. So, now let's go back and put some context, historical context, in that. Now, Thutmose III is now dead. This was the Pharaoh who wanted to kill Moses when Moses killed the Egyptian. And now on the throne is Amenhotep II. And this will be the Amenhotep. This will be the Pharaoh Amenhotep, II that Moses will go to and say, let my people go. Okay, you know what, guys, let me back up just a little bit and go to verse number 22, because there was something that I wanted to bring to your attention when Moses was to go to Pharaoh to give the commands to Pharaoh to say, let my people go that this is the first introduction. Exodus chapter four, verse 22. You guys forgive me. Sometimes I get excited and sometimes I move too fast. Thus saith the Lord. This is the first introduction of that formula that gives an, um, 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 not so much as authentication, but it is a declaration that God is speaking. So it is a prophetic. De- it is a declaration from the one speaking that the, that God himself is speaking. So this formula is a formula of authority. It gives authority that what I am saying is is indeed coming from the Lord. And this is the first of many that will become like the basis of when the prophets themselves speak. So when the prophets will speak later on, because we understand that Moses is one of the, and I say one of in, the, in, in a basic sense, first prophets of God here. First prophets of God here, you know, uh, textually, 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 because we can relate earlier to Abraham is called a prophet and navi of God. And, and we also know that Enoch the seventh from Adam was a prophet of God. But my point is, here is the formula that we have in scripture where it begins, thus saith the Lord, authority that such a one is speaking the literal words of God, okay? And it became the basis of when the prophets themselves would speak. All right, now let's go back to the context of where we were. So here, Aaron has now met his brother uh, Moses in the wilderness. This is the same place where the burning bush was, incident, all right? And uh, Amenhotep II is on the throne and he is coming. Aaron is simply coming and let him know that the men, the Pharaoh, who was seeking Moses' life is now dead. And now when he meets his brother, of course, They're happy. They weep together and and all of that good stuff. And Moses lets Aaron know the commission that God has given him and the signs that he has given Aaron to perform. So he tells Aaron everything that has happened pretty much at the burning bush incident. And so he gathers Aaron. He and Aaron both go to the elders of Israel. Remember, the whole point is Moses is to go to his own people to inform them that the God of their fathers has appeared to him because the time for their release from Egypt is at hand. Go to your own people. And so now Moses and Aaron go to the elders of their people, elders of their people. And he tells them to perform the perform the signs. And notice the order that God has given is kept. Moses speaks to Aaron. Aaron speaks to the people. The signs are therefore performed. The the people believe the signs. They believe that God has taken has looked down upon their affliction and that 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 their day of deliverance is here. And they respond in worship. When they respond in worship, it is simply saying, thank you, Lord for our deliverance. So they believe that the time of their deliverance has come and they respond with reverential worship, okay? All right, thank you guys for joining me on that one. As we end chapter four, God overcomes all of Moses' objection and Moses is now prepared and ready to meet the Pharaoh. So join me again as we get into chapter five and you know what's in, actually I wanna say, It's on now (laughs) because there Moses will contend with the Pharaoh. And then again, one more thing before we go, notice the people here who are worshiping. Oh, Lord, we so thank you because you're getting ready to deliver us. We're going to see the beginning of the fickleness of the children of Israel because these very people who are now so so wonderfully worshiping God because he is getting ready to deliver them are going to soon begin to murmur and complain. All right, guys, see you in chapter five.